This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. So welcome to the Mailbox Money Show. I am Bronson Hill. I'm here with a friend, uh, Pancham Gupta. Excited to have you today, Pancham. Um, He is the head of Mesos Capital, and he has an IT background. Now they have a large portfolio of multifamily apartments in North Carolina and Florida. And he does some really unique things, both in the way he uh, markets and, and his podcast, as well as just the way that he manages uh, the assets that he works with. So really excited to have you here today, Pancham. How are you? I am doing awesome. Thank you for having me, Bronson. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Really glad to have you. So give us a little overview, Pancham, about your background and kind of how you got where you are now. And, and you have some really kind of really fun story in the middle of that, too, about how you switch from one career to another. So I want you to kind of get into all that. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'll give you a quick run of it. Like I came to the U.S. in 2003 to get my master's degree in computer science. The idea at that time was that I'll get my degree and then go back to India where I'm from originally and do something of my own back there. And, you know, I'll get my work experience for a few years and then go back. So, uh, you know, in 2009 and 10, we actually decided that we're going to go back. Me and my wife, we sold all of our furniture, only bed was remaining. And then we was we found out that, uh, you know, we, we were expecting a baby. And uh, we said, okay, you know what, it's hard to move uh, cities or houses, uh, you know, if, get you know, leave alone the countries. So we decided, okay, you know what, we'll, we'll have our firstborn here and then we'll see and then we'll go back. And believe it or not, in 2011 and 12, uh, that, you know, we decided that we are staying here and we're calling this country our home and uh, rest is history. And that's when I started invested, uh, investing in this country. I picked up that purple book, which I'm sure many of your listeners have read, is The Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the Cashflow Quadrant and learned how people on the left side, which is employed or self-employed, you know, work for money and have control only 10% of the wealth and people on the right side control 90% of the wealth and they do not work for money. Their money works for them. So, and they actually control what people on the left side do. So, you know, I decided that, you know, I want to be on the right side, didn't know how, and started investing in real estate. I, you know, bought a single family home, second single family home, bought all these homes before I bought my own house and uh, slowly expanded into five different states uh, slowly and realized that it's not scalable at all. I was at a full, I had a full time job, really good career, uh, you know, in finance in New York City. And, uh, uh, you know, when the calls started coming in during lunchtime, during, you know, uh, it, it, there was no time. So, and I would just allocate my lunchtime uh, to go and take these calls or, you know, have scheduled some meetings, block my calendars for certain, you know, times. So I decided that it's not scalable, but I was really enjoying what I was doing. So I decided I want to, you know, do this full time and started learning about how to scale it and came across syndications, how to syndicate properties. Uh, so 
learned about that started listening to a lot of podcasts podcasts like yours and you know go started going to conferences we met at bunch of them um and learned about syndication and that's how i got into this and in 2017 i actually quit my uh i actually did my first syndication in 2019 i quit my job uh to do this full time so that's wow. the long and short of it yeah you have a you know i like your story a lot because you kind of obviously you came here to go to school and then you stayed and then you basically kind of continue to adapt and change and i think a lot of people that uh, are active in real estate or multifamily or even do single family some of our listeners do single family uh, once you get you know a certain portfolio it gets to be really hard to manage while you're doing yeah. both and your story is actually somewhat similar to mine where i had a great corporate job and i was working and i was getting paid really well to not do a lot of work uh so like you were working a lot harder than i was but i was doing a lot of real estate stuff on the side but i realized that the time is really more valuable than the money and and you know if you can do things that are of higher value it'll make more long term and so multifamily is really a a big long term play but i really like you had a i know we've kind of talked about this before pension but when you were ready to leave your job uh that was you know that was a difficult decision for you because like you said you enjoyed it and you know your family had opinions on that and can you walk us through that process and i think you even got you know some outside help involve it can you just kind of talk to it i just think it's a really cool story about how you went about that absolutely so you know i had a really high paying job uh in in new york city so what come we call that golden handcuffs right i enjoyed my job it was not uh you know i did computer science it was nothing uh, against the job that i did not like it's just that working for that money part was something that i did not enjoy and i also really started enjoying this real estate uh career on the side that i had so when i made that decision that i want to quit my job i talked to my family i talked to my family in india my my wife everyone every single person was against it the reason was that i was making really good money and they were like okay you know you have this great job amazing health benefits uh we don't have to pay out of pocket for anything you know we had this lawyer plan there was this plan there's so many different plans that our our employer offered that we pretty much had so many perks right and my wife would say okay what about the health insurance my parents would say okay you know wh- what if you don't make it right and <laughs> my response to all of this was what if i what if i does work right instead of talking about the negative let's talk about the positive but nevertheless it was really hard for me because of all that negativity right uh, that that i was surrounded with and you know i do not blame them they actually really cared because people when they care about you they they feel scared that you can get hurt really bad so you know nothing to blame them about then i actually hired a full time coach i decided i want to hire a mindset coach and it's a funny story i actually went to my wife one day when i made that decision you know what i want to hire a mindset coach to get myself out of my own head to so that i can quit the job so i go to my wife and said you know what i actually decided to hire a mindset coach to help me quit my job she's like to do what i'm like to to help me quit my job she's like just go quit why do you have to pay someone some money to help you find out how to not make money and uh, you know just just uh, you know go quit and why do you have to pay someone to do that i'm like you you know i've been thinking about this for so long 
I wish it was that easy and it's not that easy and that's why I want to get out of my own head and I actually hired a coach to help me really get over all the programming that I had in my head to uh, to get away from the full-time job. So yeah, the story the story is really fascinating, Phantom. I love it and I love that, you know, like you said, your wife's like, why do you, you know, just quit your job? Why do you need to but it really is really hard. I had a very similar experience where um, I didn't hire a coach, but a lot of my family, it's a lot of educators and a lot of professionals and nobody's an entrepreneur. It's, you know, really nobody. And so when they're like, why would you leave your job? You're making great money and you're not working that much. And it's very similar to what you're saying. Um, and there's a book by Robert Kiyosaki for anybody that's considering leaving their job. It's called Before You Quit Your Job. So it's a great title. <laughs> yeah. but it basically talks about when you're an entrepreneur or excuse me, when you're an employee, you get, uh, you know, the goal is to not make mistakes. If you make too many mistakes, you get fired. But being an entrepreneur, you have to make a lot of mistakes. And as you make mistakes, you have to learn very quickly. And so he says it's almost like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and trying to assemble one on the way down before you hit the ground. And so it can be an exciting and terrifying experience. I know you talked about the golden handcuffs, and we don't have the golden handcuffs podcast that you're doing. We've got the, the gold collar investor. <laughs> so I'm really glad you, <laughs> you kind of went a whole different route, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I'll add to one thing that what Robert Kiyosaki said, right? Like building the parachute on the way down. And he also talks about in entrepreneurship, right? We in business, we have to work in teams. Like it's a team sport, right? Whatever you're doing. And in school, it's called cheating. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, like if you work with someone and, uh, you know, you do your exam, that's called cheating, right? So it's very different world when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's, uh, you know, it's a totally different mindset and it's very hard to get out of your own head, uh, especially for people who've spent long time in their full-time jobs. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think it's important because a lot of people that I'm sure are listening, you know, may want to leave their job someday. And you know, we talk a lot about passive income and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually pretty related because, you know, developing, you know, really what is the right time to leave your job? That's something I wrestled with. How much income do you need? How much passive, how much, all this stuff. So it's, it's a great conversation to get into. Um, so talk, let's talk a little bit about, um, you with multifamily. Now you've got a large multifamily portfolio. Can you talk a little bit about, and you're also an operator, so you not only, uh, raise money, but you operate. So, Talk a little bit about your portfolio, what your approach is, what you like doing, maybe some of the markets that you're in. Just talk a little bit about your business. Sure, sure. So we are uh, focused in uh, the Carolinas and Florida mainly where we are, you know, finding value-add multifamily deals. And it's hard to find those these days, but that's our focus. And um, the our portfolio is about $100 million and assets under management and uh, we have done about eight or actually we, we are under contract on the ninth syndication right now and uh, we've gone full cycle on two and going full cycle on the third one so our focus really is on uh, getting uh, you know we have a very set criteria on which markets we want to pick and we can go over that if you want like what kind of uh, criteria we have we look at overall job population job diversity you know where the millennials are moving in where builders are developing where you know airlines are adding one the segments to you know to those cities and where u-haul and united van lines are you know are getting rented as one-way rentals where that those cities are the destination so those are some of the cities that we pick and 
some of those cities in Carolinas are like Raleigh, Charlotte, and Wilmington. Uh, that's our criteria. And so we are really focused on 100 plus units built after 1985 in those areas, those cities. And there has to be some kind of uh, value add component associated with them. And uh, our go, you know, our business model is we go in, buy these, raise capital, execute our business plan, and then either sell it or refi it. Right. That's great. I know you've had a couple exits as well, but you know, that's a very similar approach that we and a lot of folks use is the value add approach looking for, you know, and also looking at markets. I think a lot of people just kind of think, oh, I'm just going to buy wherever, or the, which is true. But I think these like the areas like the Carolinas and Florida and some of these areas, you know, we kind of do Texas to Florida where you see, you know, population growth, job growth, income growth. You're looking at all this stuff. And I think it's just the idea that, you know, when the tide rises, it lifts all the boats, right? So, you don't even have to perform that well. So to be in the right area with the right type of growth, which I think is huge. But why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you see kind of the advantages of multifamily investing for people that are unfamiliar with it. Maybe you can just kind of talk about some of the advantages that you see. Yeah, sure. So, you know, that question can be answered. Uh, I cannot answer that question without talking about real estate benefits, generally speaking. But, you know, I have this acronym, which I read somewhere. It's not mine. But, the you know, real estate investing is uh, called an ideal investment, right? I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I-D-E-A-L investment and and i'll explain that acronym it's literally an ideal investment so i stands for income d stands for depreciation e stands for equity a, st a stands for appreciation and l stands for leverage so real estate investing provides all of these benefits so i is very uh, simple to explain income right you know after you pay your debt you have some income left over, right? And then D is depreciation. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that generally real estate is a very good tax shelter uh, when it comes to sheltering your uh, passive income if you have a W-2 job unless you're a real estate professional. So the the uh, there, there's a great benefit on depreciation. And then E is the equity. That's the equity you're building over time as you pay down your mortgage. Uh, you're building slowly, slowly that equity. And imagine that if you have a fixed rate loan, you're actually, you know, paying down that equity using uh, the dollar, which is uh, less in value in 10 years from now uh, with the same payment, uh, which, you know, is lowering your equity. And then, um, you know, uh, A for appreciation, like all of us uh, know that real estate, especially after COVID in last one year has gone up like crazy. But generally speaking, the long term trend has been it's been uh, going up and up and up. Yeah, we have had a downturn of 2008. But if you really that's where the difference between single family and multifamily comes into play a big time. And we'll go over that. But so, so you have appreciation and then finally leverage, right? There is no other investment where you can go out and, um, you know, go to the bank and ask for loan. Uh, you know, 75% loan to go buy a stock or to go buy some other investment. It's only real estate which provides you that. And banks are okay with that because they know something uh, which they wouldn't uh, otherwise do in the other asset classes. So those are the real estate benefits. And then now going into uh, multifamily specifically, right? The, the D part 
of this ideal is huge when it comes to multifamily because of bonus depreciation there is something called we can do cost segregation study we can go into details of that what that means but basically you can depreciate a lot more in the very first year of ownership and that depreciation could be a lot more for multifamily uh, buildings and commercial properties in general but multifamily is a commercial uh, when it comes to cost segregation study so you you get that depreciation and then also uh, you know in 2008 when uh, which were the the crisis which was based on housing if you really look at all the multifamily uh, as an asset class the default rate was less than one percent I don't remember exactly but it is actually if I recall it properly it was even less than 0.1% I don't know the exact number but definitely less than 1% so there is a reason for that instead of you know uh, when people lost homes they wanted to go and rent houses right I'd rent wanted to go into a rental place and that's a multifamily building you know they, they, they their occupancy went up even though the rents may have suffered for some time but their occupancy went up and similar situation we have now there is a lot of housing shortage right and people want uh, safe and sound housing and multifamily provides that so it's not going anywhere and even you know if the downturn comes you still have uh, you know th this uh, this rental income that's coming in as long as you can hold the asset even though if, if it goes underwater in extreme scenarios as long as you can service the debt you can still hold it and it can go you know uh, up as as the market turns right so and and that's great you know I, I think a lot of people that are new to this and i remember when i was new years ago it kind of felt like wow this just sounds amazing like you mentioned all these ideal investments leverage and it's amazing how even with inflation there's a hedge there with that as well and so just there's so many so many upsides we just did an interview recently where we had a panel with a guy named rick rule who's a well-known guy who talks about metals and things and cool. he was talking about he'd done 25 25 to 30 years of passive investing in multifamily real estate and he just said it's been phenomenal the tax benefits the growth all this stuff so it's awesome when you meet people that have been doing it for years and years and have just had a great result and he's not necessarily a real estate guy he's more of a of a, of a commodities and, and other sorts of things but to hear his take on it so it really is the bread and butter particularly of real estate and i think everybody should consider being involved in multifamily but i wanted to ask you pancham um a lot of people sometimes, you know, hear something like, man, the returns sound so good. And I mean, it sounds a little too good to be true. So why don't you give us some of the, like for people that are kind of new to this or curious, what are some of the risks or some of the things maybe new investors should be concerned about or be aware of when they're looking at, you know, doing a deal or working with uh, a new sponsor or something like that? Can you kind of speak to that? Sure. So I always answer this question in three ways, right? Like there are three very high level categories in terms of the risk that people need to consider, right? Number one is the market risk where I can divide that into two categories, broader market and the sub market where the property is located. Number two is the team risk, which is the, uh, the asset management team, the sponsorship team, right? And number three is the asset risk risk 
which is the asset itself right so you know we can go over uh, I'll, I'll quickly go over these three separate risks like if you're a new investor you need to think about uh, overall market risk and the sub market risk where is this particular property look uh, located you cannot do much about the overall market if the overall market the financial environment tanks i mean it tanks for everybody like there is not even one person out there who would not get impacted by that but it's basically how are you hedging that right that you know are you in a market which was not growing before and uh, you know uh, and it's it's going to get impacted even more so if you really look at 2008 and in uh, by 2012 and 2000 like now 20 and 2021 the markets which were really good like dallas fort worth or uh, you know raleigh charlotte they definitely all of these markets took a dip in 2008 but they were the first ones to come back up when the markets went up right so yeah you hedge your overall market risk by going into markets which are growing like we talked about that uh, just earlier in the podcast and then the sub market you have to figure out within that market are you in an area which is uh, growing right like uh, how's the area median income within that uh, sub market right if it is we have a criteria of we we don't buy anything which has an average rent of lower than 750 dollars per unit so and we kind of have this formula of three times the rent should be your income right so that comes down to be around 40 to 45000 area median like uh, the household income has to be at least that much right for a blue good safe blue collar uh, neighborhood so you have to think look at that sub market uh, uh, as a risk and then second is the team uh yeah you have to this is where this becomes really subjective right the you have to have the trust in the team and i get this question how do you build that trust if you are a first time investor and the answer is that it is not easy you have to really talk to the sponsors be get on their list get on the phone with them maybe go meet them maybe go see check out their existing properties how they have done it right and and do this you know dance uh, i would call it like dating right if you don't go marry someone right away uh, on the first day right you go and spend some time and uh, see how they are doing it's a time consuming very very time consuming process but uh, that's the only way I know how you can really build trust. So that's the team risk. And then you have to see their track record, like how they've done, how, you know, problems happen with everybody, right? But it's not about what happened to them. It's how they react to that, right? That's what matters. And you have to see if they had any kind of failure, but how did they come about that, right? If they say they have never, never had any failure, then I would say that is very rare and you have to look into that and 99% of the cases you have to run if, if they don't have any any failures so um, so that's uh, the team risk and then finally the asset itself so the you have to see what the business plan is the the sponsor has and what kind of uh, asset it is so for example if their business plan says that oh we want to increase the rents by hundred dollars but you look at the asset itself right and it has old roofs it has it's in an area which has a bad parking like bad driveways parking lot and all that and they don't have in their plan to fix any of those and they want to increase the rents yeah maybe market validates that but you have to see asset itself is if if that supports 
that kind of rent growth within that area right and that's so that's you know there are a lot of other things you can talk about it like you know assets that are built in 1970s they have cast iron pipes right so is there uh, a risk around that like i know in florida cast iron pipes behave very differently than they behave in carolinas for example uh, same thing goes with electric uh, wiring right like whether it's aluminium or copper and do they have plans for that so all that comes under <clears throat> the asset risk so these are some of the things that i would say that they have to think about when it comes to risk but out of all these three i think the number two which is the team risk is the most important thing we all know from our corporate careers if you have a great team and you have a bad project that great team will work hard and get that make that bad project a good project but if they if the team is not good and you give them a great project they can run that project to ground so it's really really important to uh, you know validate the team and and the risk around that the execution risk right those are three I mean you mentioned kind of all of it right so the deal it's the market it's the team it's 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 the actual deal itself and they're all important and like you said I agree I think the team is really really important uh, not, you know, the only factor, but definitely a really big factor. There's this term that talks about, you know, more than betting on, you know, there's like the horse, the jockey and the track or things like that. If you're going to bet on one, really bet on the jockey, uh, yeah. especially if they have a track record. So it's really, that's, that's a big deal. Um, so we're kind of getting uh, toward the end of our time here, but I just wanted to ask you uh, one more question really about uh, how do you see, and you don't have to go super in depth, but I mean, do you see, how do you see inflation or other you know, lending or macroeconomics affecting multifamily? That's a great question. I, 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 we internally discussed that. I think we are personally seeing, as of right now, when Fed is saying that inflation is transitory, we are seeing, I'll give you example of uh, properties that we were looking at, let's say one year ago to now. One year ago, certain properties, Class B properties, which were trading at $150,000 per door, for example, they're trading at one ninety to 200000 per door in great markets. So that's almost 33% increase in asset pricing. What has really changed? Nothing has changed when it, when it comes to that asset. What has changed is the financial environment when it comes to all this environment about this liquidity that is out there because of all the money printer going brrr, right? So the, 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 I, I believe that the inflation is here to stay, especially if that $3.5 trillion bill which is the infrastructure bill, but has very little to do in, in, with infrastructure. But regardless, that liquidity, when this comes down in the market, imagine what that, that's pretty much 10%, uh, uh, more than 10% of overall debt that we have. If that hits the market, that bill gets passed, oh, this, uh, that $150,000 property per unit that went to two hundred. I don't know what the what the ceiling would be on that one because there would be so much money that would be chasing these uh, the, these kind of properties. Yeah, it's interesting. We were really um, in a time that inflation, you know, they're saying it's transitory. It hasn't really the, the public really hasn't caught up with oh, inflation maybe here, and particularly if we do have some change in asset prices or we have a recession where a single family may go down, multifamily may a little bit, but you know, usually cash flow or rents will rise with inflation because cost of ownership goes up. So sometimes it's a little different than single family. But 
Um, obviously, we don't know what exactly what will happen, but the more money that's out there, the more everything costs. And so that's why these deals are amazing because you get into you know long-term deals with typically long-term debt at a fixed rate, and so you're you know you're paying it off in future dollars that are worth less. So the debt the debt is less valuable, uh, and so you're paying it off with money that's worth less. And because of the inflation, the value just goes up. So that spread gets to be wider and wider, which is which is awesome. And um, and, and I have this. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I have this argument that uh, you know you mentioned that if let's say there's a downturn. Right. So what happens in the downturn? People, uh, it's sad, but people lose their jobs, for example. Right. What happens when they lose their job? They lose their homes, for example. Right. Where do they go when they lose their homes? They go out and find a property for to rent. And usually multifamily apartments, you know, the occupancy starts rising. So there's an argument to be made that, yeah, if there is a downturn, the occupancy will stay there. Yeah, prices may not go up. But you will be able to service your debt, right? Absolutely, yeah. It is. It is really safe asset class, at least historically. What we've seen, even in two thousand nine, is something government's even shown they're going to try to help people to stay in their homes. So, Benjamin, um, what's one resource that's helped you on your real estate journey? Whether it's a book, an app, a website, a tool, or something that you use. So I would say, in terms of the book, I would go back to that book, Cash Flow Quadrant. Really, that really changed my mindset, and I. I'm so big on that book. I did a full episode actually on my show to 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 discuss that book, and uh, yeah, I would say that's one thing that has really really changed my mindset. Yeah, that, I, I would agree. I say that book impacted me more than the, the the original Purple Book, The Rich Dad Poor Dad. So if you haven't read, if you're listening and you have not read either of those, Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, or Cash Flow Quadrant, uh, I think I actually like Cash Flow Quadrant better than Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, so it just gives very practical things. And if you're an employee, there's things to be aware of and how to kind of move to another quadrant where you're an investor or you're a business owner. Um, so there's some real positives there. So, well, Benjamin, I just want to say, I want to really honor you uh, with your story, how, you know, you did whatever it, it, it takes, you've kind of done whatever it takes to really be successful uh, in your multifamily career and even in your career, being very diligent, having a great job and even doing what you need, knowing that you needed to make a move and hiring a mindset coach to do that, which I think is a great step. And so sometimes, you know, hiring a coach to get to that next level is really, really important. So I uh, just want to just uh, you know say well done on that. I know all for all the value you bring to your investors and with your track record and everything that you've done, I just wanted to say well done for all that and appreciate all the value you're bringing to with your Thank podcast, you. The Gold Collar Investor. So uh, what are what's one way that maybe people can get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Sure. So they can email me at p at thegoldcollarinvestor.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. And if they want top six reasons to diversify outside of Wall Street, uh, they can go and download an ebook, which is thegoldcollarinvestor.com forward slash download. So if they go there, they will get this ebook, which will have many other reasons, which I discussed, uh, you know, on this podcast, but on top of that, and also the alternatives that they have on top of like how to diversify. So they can check that out. That's awesome. Well, Panjab, I really appreciate you uh, enjoying or joining us today and uh, really wish you the best in your uh continued expansion of your uh, multi-value business there. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. 
So this was a great interview with uh, Pancham. You know, he talked a lot about his career and his transition. And I know a lot of us, we have goals to uh, be full-time real estate or to not have to work or to be able to work on your terms. And it really comes with uh, having goals and sometimes even hiring a coach, get somebody involved to help you to be able to do that. So if you're in a family that maybe uh, you're not finding the support you need, it's not uncommon. Uh, Pancham, that's his story. That's my story as well. You can find outside mentors, you can find outside friends or, or people who have kind of gone before to help you. So a few takeaways that I had is that that, that uh, term ideal that he mentioned where he talks about uh, multifamily, you know, it's income, depreciation, equity, appreciation and leverage. And I just love multifamily because it also provides an inflation hedge as well with just so much money being printed. So we're in a time that is, uh, you know, I think it will look very different in five to 10 years as far as just the inflation expectations going forward and what that will look like as far as spending. So um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to hear any feedback that you had from it, but uh, I hope that uh, look forward to the next episode and I uh, hope you uh, have a wonderful, uh, you know, you really put this to practice and you really get a lot of value out of it. So uh, feel free to reach out to Pancham or myself if we can be a service to you. So look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.